You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Yes, today marks Queen City Church's 11th anniversary, literally to the day, June the 20th, Father's Day. We began the church at the Visual Light Theater, and this morning I've got two, I've got two trains of thought sort of flowing through my heart. One, of course, is about our anniversary and the history of how we got here, because I know there's so many people here who don't know about it. Um, and of course, the other one is about the fact that it really is Father's Day, and I wanted to share some things about my father relationship I had with, uh, with him, to honor him, and to stir all of us up to honor our parents. And um, then we have a little short three-minute video that tells a little bit about how we got here to this place. That's the first fly I've ever seen in this building. That's what I was doing. I wasn't praising the Lord. I was swatting a fly. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's <laughs> uh, terrible. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll tell you more about who we are because a lot of you don't know that story, and I think this is a good day to do it. So the context for me to share, particularly about my father in particular, comes from something Paul wrote about the Ten Commandments, and it's in Ephesians 6, verse 2 and 3. It says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So it's important to honor our fathers and mothers. Now, I know some people had fathers and mothers and they had trouble with them, big trouble. Or maybe they weren't very good. I don't know. All kind of things happen. But the idea here is you don't just honor the good ones. You honor the one you have. And there's something that blesses the Lord's heart when you do that because it really is in the redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness mode. And there's something God pays attention to when people honor their parents, that it may be well with you, the Bible said, or that you may be happy or fulfilled or content or find favor or live long. Now, obviously, this isn't um, the only thing that goes into what kind of life you live, but every bit helps, right? Come on. You know that's right. But there is a relationship between honoring your parents and doing well in life. So I was just thinking a lot about my dad. Uh, he passed away almost 40 years ago. And a while back, his sister sent me a scrapbook containing things about him that I never knew, never had any way to know, but they were letters he had written his mother from college. And there were cards. There were all these different correspondences that his mother had saved. He kept in a box. And um, so as I was going through them, uh, it was like 
getting a personal letter from my dad years after he was gone. Not that any of it was addressed to me, but I got to see more and more and more about what he was like. If I'm going to be real honest about my dad, I uh, I could have had a better relationship with him, quite honestly. Um, but, you know, as they say, it, it is what it is. I would have wanted him to communicate more with me. Um, but he was a child of the Great Depression. He was born in Osierfield, Georgia. How many have been to Osierfield, Georgia? Well, he was born in Osierfield, Georgia in 1919. And so he grew up eight miles on a dirt road from the nearest paved road on the side of a swamp, growing tobacco, sidestepping rattlesnakes. Actually, we went down to his old home place one time, and my aunt suckered us into it because it still had light bulbs hanging from the ceiling by weird wires that, you know, you've seen those in the movies. Uh, and she wouldn't tell my mother about the snakes because she would have never gone down there with us. But um, anyway, his father was a doctor and a farmer who owned 400 acres. But a lot of times he got paid in uh, eggs and a side of ham because people couldn't pay. People didn't have money during the Great Depression, and he was still going to be a doctor. So... It's really interesting the way my dad grew up. But I learned a lot from my dad, and it wasn't primarily because he taught, sat me down and told me, do good, don't do bad. But he would just live his life, and he would tell me um, these stories. So I got a lot from these stories he told me and from just watching him and how, how he lived. And the, the, the thing about my dad was... Uh, he was a disciplinarian. I mean, he wasn't overly disciplinarian, but he um, wanted my brother and I to make up our own mind about things. He didn't want to control us. And so when he would tell me, he would tell me these stories. One, I realized he was t- teaching me something about courage, but he would just tell me these stories. He said when he was a little kid, Growing up on the farm, there was an intimidating rooster that ruled the space between the barn and the house. And every time Dad went out, he was probably four or five years old, might have been six, but every time he went out there, the rooster chased him back inside. So he went to my grandfather, he went to his father and complained. And um, his dad said, well, I guess you're just going to have to deal with that and show the rooster who's boss. So Dad put on his big boy working boots I can see him in my mind, working boots, short pants, and a T-shirt. Went back out in the yard, and when the rooster charged him, he charged the rooster. And when he got right to the rooster, and I know the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals is not going to like what happened, but he kicked that rooster as hard as he could. (laughs) And the, the story goes that rooster tumbled back and back and back until he hit the barn in utter defeat. And that was the last problem my father ever had with that rooster. And so he would just tell me these stories and that would be it. He wouldn't say the moral of the story, but the moral of the story is sometimes you just have to kick the rooster. 
What I mean is sometimes you got to go after those things that come after you. He told me that little story. Well, he was adventurous and he was a really good athlete. Having grown up out in the country, dad only heard about football and listened to games on the radio growing up. But when he was old enough to go to high school, his family moved into town, Fitzgerald, Georgia, to ensure that he got a better education, better than the one-room schoolhouse kind he knew. And he legit rode a pony to school. You heard about people that did that. My dad rode a pony to school, had a red saddle. I've never seen the picture. So they moved to town, and Dad went to school. And when he went to school the first day, he found out they had a football team. So he went out in football, made the team, and he told me he played in the first football game he ever saw. <laughs> See, we don't realize how people grew up, really. I mean, I have a great-great-aunt who remembered the Civil War. Can you, can you see that this morning? She remembered as a four- or five-year-old girl, and she died in 1962 at like 104. See, we don't realize how close our histories are, and we don't realize not everybody grew up with an apple in their pocket and a Mac in their desk, and they didn't grow up that way. And so um, first football game he ever saw he played in, and he was a gifted leader and a coach in 1945, head football coach in the University of South Carolina at 26 years old. He became the youngest head coach in any major college in the nation to go to a bowl game, and I think that record still holds. That same year, he also, at the University of South Carolina, was head baseball, head basketball coach. Now, you have no idea how somebody could do that, but it was the war years, and it was 1945. How many decades ago? Now, you've got one head coach and 30 assistants for one sport. And his baseball team had the best record in the Southern Conference, and his basketball team won the conference title which is just crazy, but that's, that's, that's his story. But he wasn't controlling. He was a great athlete. He never pressured me to be one. Now, my mom only wanted me to be everything at the highest level. I love her. If you're listening now, you did a great job, Mom. A little bit too much pressure. How many times I promised I would get straight A's? I never, I never did, I don't think. Fifth grade, fifth grade maybe. But he didn't pressure us. He wanted us to make our own choices. And he told my mom that I was a better high school baseball catcher than any ever coached on the college level. He just didn't tell me. He wanted me to find my own way and make my own decisions and not live a life of being pressured into doing things I didn't really have in my heart other than doing the right things. You know what I'm talking about. And he was loyal his best friend in high school's nickname was Punchy because when Punchy drank, Punchy got Punchy and Dad didn't drink to keep Punchy from getting killed. So I just thought that was interesting. What was Dad telling me? You got to look out for each other. And he was faithful. He's faithful to my mom. He was faithful to his parents. He would drive every six weeks from either Charlotte or Spartanburg, depending on where we lived, 
all the way down to like the southwest part of Georgia. No air conditioning in the car, no interstates to help look after the farm and after my grandmother. Every six weeks, come back Sunday night late, get up Monday morning, go back to work. Do that every six weeks. And my dad was a man of integrity. He um, actually cut my brother from his little league team because he wasn't old enough or good enough and he was not going to make an exception and exclude a player that should really, really be playing. That's just the way my dad was, a man of integrity. One time he said to me, Robin, let me tell you what happened today at work. I said, I'm probably 12 years old. I said, what was that? He said, well, I called on one of my customers because he got out of coaching. He got tired of getting fired. If you've ever coached, you understand that. He's tired of getting fired. So he went into business, and he made a call on a customer, and it was right around Christmas time. And the customer said to my dad, dad sat down and opened his briefcase. They started conducting business. And he said, uh, Johnny, that was my dad's name, Johnny McMillan, do you see those tires over there? And dad said, yes. You see that bottle of whiskey? And dad said, yes. He said, well, that's what so-and-so and so-and-so gave me. And dad said, um, well, Merry Christmas. Shut his briefcase and walked out. What was dad telling me? He, he wasn't going to buy people's business. He was going to do the right thing. He was generous. He was humble. He actually taught me to tithe as a child. My brother and I both, we would get 50 cents allowance and a nickel went in the collection plate in church. And he was interviewed when we lived in Spartanburg. And here's what dad said during that interview. He said there were at least two great virtues he wanted to teach my brother and I. This was in the paper. And the man said, what were those? He said, tithing and humility. Two virtues he wanted us to know growing up. And we were like one of those families that went to church every Sunday, sometimes twice. And I read that if you don't value church, your children won't value Jesus because they are watching you. See, everything I've talked about so far is things I watched my father do, not rules he wrote down for me to, to abide by. But what you value your children will value or they have a big chance to but if you don't value it they won't value it because they're learning from us by every every bit as much as what we do is what we say and when i say generous how many of you know there's a church on the corner of southeast and west boulevard how many of you knew that there was a corner on southeast and west boulevard that's chalmers memorial it was an old Presbyterian church where we went as a kid. Actually, Price's Chicken Coop. Everybody upset that Price's Chicken Coop shut? The Price's went to that same church. I grew up with the Price's kids. Um, we came into church one Sunday morning, and huge chunks of plaster the night before had fallen out, and people would have really been hurt if it had happened that morning. And... Um, Mom and dad gave sacrificially to rebuild, um, to rebuild the, the ceiling in that, in that sanctuary. Now, dad never said, listen, I'm generous, son. This is what I've done with my money. No, he just lived that life. And in that life, we would hear 
what was going on. So, I honor my dad today. I bless his memory because he meant so much to me. How many of you are thinking about your fathers? So we bless them too. We bless John Mark and Christopher's dad this morning. (laughs) With a special blessing. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. Let's... um, One of the things that's real important, I was I was thinking, watching um, Andy and Amy bought this place down here in town, and just watching the delight a mom and dad have in not just buying a house, but building a home and a legacy for their kids. That's what we do, isn't it? How many of us want a good home for our kids? Of course we do. Well... Our Heavenly Father wanted to give us a home for our congregation. And so um, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory in a minute. But firstly, uh, I wanted us to look at a little three-minute video um, that we used to help raise the funds to get in this building. And we're not raising funds this morning. Don't get nervous. But it just shows and tells you in a short period of time, a lot about who we are and what we did, so. We probably have known the past year in Scott Church, and this is where we have church every Sunday night at 6 30. I'm going to turn this over tonight to our worship pastor. This is Josh Baldwin. Let's go. Queen City Church started with a family, a father, his sons, and their friends with a vision for a creative community empowered by the love of God. The vision was simple, bless God and be a blessing to the city of Charlotte. The Lord had put in my heart to start Queen City Church to provide a place for disillusioned, disenfranchised young men and women, creative types, artists, musicians, a lot like my own children. I wanted them to experience the reality of the love of God in a way that would empower them to become the kind of people God had called them to be. Our church has become so much more than that now. There was really a place for the whole family. We rented a music venue downtown Charlotte, the historic Visualite Theater, and began meeting on Father's Day 2010 with a few small families, friends, and one child. I grew up in church, and I got disillusioned. And for a long time, I didn't go to church. And my sister, actually, I would come to QCC with her. And Josh Baldwin would lead worship, and I would just, like, cry. I felt so loved by God, and, like, God was so proud of me. That was, like, a new feeling. Like, I'd never felt that feeling before. And so it kept me wanting to come back. When we started Queen City Church, my vision was to help cultivate a place for a community of people who love the Lord and want to live life together um, through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to um, see our families grow and thrive, you know, and be there for one another. Now we've grown to like 250 people, 130 families, 40 or 50 kids, and it's just time for a home of our own. We have quickly outgrown the Visualite Theater and are approaching the end of our lease on the building that houses our kids' ministry and offices. 
We have an incredible opportunity to renovate a warehouse space near the heart of the city that can house Queen City Church, along with our children's ministry and offices all under one roof. This is a place to grow. Many of you have encouraged us in this journey, and we are very grateful. We currently need to raise money for the renovation of the new facility. If you would like to donate to this building fund, go to GoFundMe.com slash QCC Home to donate today. Help us bless God and be a blessing to our city. Thank you very much. Sweet. Awesome, man. And it just keeps getting better. Yeah. It does. So in, in 2010, um, I was in my 14th year at Morningstar, and that's another church. If you don't know about it, it's down in Fort Mill. When the Lord began to speak to me about, um, and we covered it here in the video, about maybe disenfranchised or disillusioned people, younger people, and... Um, Actually, when the Lord spoke to me, the way I heard it was if I didn't do it, he would go find somebody else to do it. And so I realized to do it, I was going to have to quit what I was doing and do a faith venture. How many of you know what that's like? That's like do something you don't get paid to do. And um, during that season, as I was processing, I was talking some to John Mark and Christopher and just, just a couple of ones around me. And I've got these notes from a number of years ago. During that season, John Mark had a dream about the church I pastored before I was at Morningstar. And after he and I began to talk and I began to tell him about what I thought the Lord was asking me to do, he told me that he and some of his friends wanted a church um, that was different from what we had been in those 14 years, but they didn't really have someone who was willing and able to jump in and do it, and I was. And one of the things I can remember very distinctly about um, what, what uh, John Mark wanted was that when he was a kid, we were part of a church that had bought some property and a number of us lived out there. And some of these families got really, really close in a good way. And John Mark knows to this day, if he ever needed serious help, there at least, apart from me, two men he could call. I could name them right now who would drop whatever they were doing and come to his aid. And he said he wanted a church like that where his children could develop those kind of relationships with other families and fathers. And so we began to gather um, gather some folks. I gave notice, and um, most of them were, were my children's age. 
But very closely after that, I, I see the Malloys sitting in the back, Dan and Lisa Malloy. Uh, they're, are you older as I am back there? You look younger. Dan is. Lisa's <laughs> sloughing off this whole birthday issue. <laughs> but we wanted some older uh people to jump in there with us. And so we did have a number of them. Dan and Lisa have been great supports for us, for everything. We just love you guys. Thank you so much for all you've done. And so we chose a simple vision, bless God, be a blessing to the city of Charlotte. And we decided to meet at the Visualite Theater. How many of you are not familiar with the Visualite? Raise your hands. Okay, the Visualite Theater um, was an old movie theater in front of Presbyterian Hospital, and they it hadn't been a theater in years. It's been a, a band venue, uh, full bar, you know, rock and roll, and, and a lot of local people have played there. But we decided to meet there because they had a good sound system and Christopher could run it, and um, we could meet at night. And the reason we met at night was because I needed to travel to survive. So I was traveling and preaching to to um, pay the bills while we were trying to build this. And um, I realized if, if we met at 6 o'clock at night, I could preach anywhere on the East Coast and be home by 6 on a Sunday night. So John Mark was traveling as well. I think Christopher was too. A number, number of us were. But anyway, Josh Baldwin was our first staff member, and he was a worship leader. And I was looking back at some of the emphasis we had. Actually, we began talking about the love of God. And we began to see the Lord encourage and change lives. And I think about the testimony Shelley gave earlier. We began to talk about finding our identity in Christ. We began to talk about hope and, and loving our city. But we had a problem at the Visualite. There was no place for children. And we did have a Play-Doh table in the back. How many remember the Play-Doh table in the back? with carpet. Meanwhile, the night before, um, the balloon dancers might have been there in the building. So there could have been some pop balloons. I'm, I'm just, just a rough place. We were unroughing it. We were sanctifying it temporarily. But um, no place for the kids. Matter of fact, BJ and Lisa Sullivan are pastors uh, down in Gastonia. And their kids, when they came on Sunday night, they used to call us, their kids called us the Plato Church. And at first, we only had two kids on in our original group. Soon we had 13 or 14 in our original small group. So we met that way for three years, and obviously we had difficulty growing, and then we had a miracle. There was a building across the street that was available for $10,000 a month. Do you know how much $10,000 a month is? That's a lot. But it was during that um, economic downturn and the property owners were going to build high-rise, maybe eight-story apartment comp- or office complex there. But since the financial difficulties were so prevalent, they didn't do it, but they wouldn't rent it either because they were going to tear it down. And so I got a real estate agent, um, A.J. Whitehead, God bless him, he's helped us a lot. And he talked them into renting it to us for $2,000 a month if we were responsible for all of it except the roof. 
And so for $2,000 a month, we had a three-year lease with one caveat. They could give us 60 days and ask us to leave. So that's not really a three-year lease. (laughs) That's a two-month lease is what it amounts to. And so we did that. We did that for three years. It gave us offices. It gave us a place for kids. And um, that was an unheard of price, $2,000 a month. So after three years, the owners exercised their 60-day clause, which struck panic in my soul. I found out in November that we had to leave, what was that, in February. Well, they let us stay in the building until June while we tried to locate another building. And so what we did was we cut our, once we lost the building, which we did, we cut our services down to one hour and everybody stayed in there together. Now, right about, I think the day before I found out we were losing the building, I was listening to a message um, Danny Silk was preaching called Between the Egyptian Army and the Red Sea. And you know, when Israel escaped from Egypt, they had their backs against the wall and they were literally between the devil and the deep Red Sea. And Danny's message was sometimes you're not going to have faith or develop it until a necessity emerges. Well, that was the necessity because I had been looking for a building the whole time we'd been at the Visualite. I, I could, I've been in a hundred buildings over those years and um, no one would lease one to us. But the Lord told me, this is not a problem, it's an opportunity. Well, nobody wants to hear that. It felt like a problem. It looked like a problem. But no, apparently it was not a problem. It was an opportunity. And so I got A.J. Whitehead, and he printed out, here we go again, 22 properties. There's the 11 sequence there, 22 properties. And the 22nd property was a building across the street up here on Presley Road. So... I called, and A.J. uh, engaged with the owners, actually with the um, real estate agent who represented the owners, and they told A.J. they didn't want to talk, they weren't going to rent a building. And I can remember sitting in my red leather recliner after I heard that, and I said, no. No, Mm-mm. That, that's wrong answer. No, somebody say no with me. No, no, wrong answer. And so I finagled my way into getting the phone number of who I thought was the president of the company over here, Mantissa. And when I called the owner's son, here's the way it worked. I called for the owner's son who was running the business. His father had been retired for eight years, never came into the office unless they were having some kind of a major meeting. And when I called that number, the retired 
father who began the company with his son picked up the telephone and answered. And I told him who I was and I told him what I wanted. And he said, well, you can't have that building, but we got another one. And this was it. This was it. And here's the amazing thing. This beam, is that right? I'm trying to find. They were so good to us. This room was half this wide. He rearranged his entire warehouse. There's a 30,000-square-foot warehouse back behind this wall. He rearranged their entire warehouse so that we could capture all of this space right here. And against his son's wishes, he leased us this building. But through the process of leasing this building, even his son likes us. I would do this. He'd had trouble with churches in the past. We were putting in bathrooms. And I, uh, we, we didn't buy Home Depot toilets. We bought downtown, high-level plumbing company toilets, expensive toilets. If a normal toilet was $100, we got $300 toilets. And I took him in there, and I said, Andy, look at that toilet. I think, I, yeah, Andy Fortenberry. Look at that, Andy, look at that toilet. He said, yeah, what about it? I said, that's a fine toilet. That's not a cheap toilet because we're not, we're not going cheap. We're not going to put cheap toilets. He has brought people over here and showed them our bathrooms who remembered what they used to look like. Before our first service, he came walking through those doors, and he's a great guy. He can be a little profane, which doesn't bother me. I sort of like it, but... Uh, he came walking through those doors and came walking down those aisles, and I think Donna was in here, and he said, praise the Lord, I can feel the religion from here. <laughs> so our five-year lease is up October. So in October, we will have been here five years. I said, here's what I would like to do. I would like to have another... I can't remember exactly. I would like to go ahead and sign for our option and get another three-year option. But I want to I pay what we're paying today. And they said, okay. So we got another six years and the rent doesn't go up. Because they love us. They do. They love us. Actually, Andy's dad, David Fortenberry, the, the, the father, he said, when I get to heaven, what they do is back here, they build these remarkable um, material handling electronic computerized conveyor belts, which if three boxes were coming down and they had, it would sort them all kind of. It's just amazing. There are only like four or five companies in the world that do it. 
and one of their company was Van Heusen, and they got the job of the Van Heusen Shirt Company because they could save them a quarter on every shirt. And Andy said, I, when I go to, or David said, when I go to heaven and I eat, man, I meet Aunt Martha up there, and she's going to say, so the best you could do for the kingdom was save Van Heusen a quarter a shirt? So they rented this to us because they knew we wanted to serve the Lord. Now, that's short form of how we got here. Andy Squires, why don't you come up, close this out, and just pray for us. You want to do that? Well, we have a tremendous amount to be grateful for, don't we? Uh, I was thinking earlier when, um, when Robin was opening, talking about honoring your father and mother. Uh, there's, there's something the Lord's been helping me with this year. Um, and I thought it was appropriate to share with y'all. And I don't, I don't think my mom would mind me sharing this, but I was just going through some thoughts about, uh, my, my, you know, we, we, we all have difficult relationships within our families and, and, uh, it's, it's sometimes can seem like a lot to endure, or there's sometimes there's these issues within your family that seem, uh, like you can't get breakthrough. And, uh, and my mom, uh, was raised by California beatniks and hippies. And she, she had her own challenges with her parents. And I was thinking recently how my mom never did anything, uh, abusive or anything, but because she was a hippie, there, there was, there was levels of neglect in my life. I experienced not nothing tremendous, but small degrees of neglect that affected me later on. And, uh, and one day I was reading in the book of Malachi at the very end of the old Testament, there's a scripture that says, uh, well, here's what's on God's heart. He wants the hearts of the fathers to turn to the young, the hearts of the fathers and mothers to turn to the young. And he wants the hearts of the young to turn back to the fathers. And the scripture goes, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Well, the interesting thing about that scripture is that it's not that God is striking a curse with his wrath. It's that when the hearts of the fathers and mothers are turned away from the children, and when the hearts of the children are turned away from the father, a curse manifests, a curse comes. So I was asking the Lord, Lord, how are curses actually broken? And he sent me back to that scripture in Malachi, and he says this, Somebody within that equation, whether it's the father and the mother or whether it's the child, must first turn their heart toward the one who gave them the curse. You actually have to turn and carry another person in their weakness for a distance. And that's what breaks the curse in your family line. That's actually what ends the curse is not when you turn your heart away from the person who did you wrong, but the, turn your heart towards the person who did you wrong. And there's all kinds of different degrees of wrongness, right? I don't mean to make this a simple formula. There, there are things that we have to process. There's pain that we need to process with you know, prayer and, and, and counselors and all of that kinds of things. But I thought that was a really amazing thing I had never really seen before that the Lord's prescription 
for bringing a blessing into the earth is for the generations to turn their hearts to one another and to carry each other, even in their deficiencies. Because we all have them, right? Every single person in this room has some type of human foible, human deficiency, and, and we're on, we're progressing towards growing in love. And so, um, why don't we stand up together and we'll just end with this little action as we head into this week. Why don't we ask the Father to give us strength and grace to know how to carry another person in our life who might be difficult for us to love. That'll be our prayer to close out, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this Father's Day. Thank you for the celebration of our dads. And um, we, there's so many good things that our parents have done for us. And Father, we thank you for our parents. But many of us have things that are tough, that we don't know what to do with, whether it's with our folks or with our children, if we have them. So our prayer is this, Lord, that, that the theory of love, the theory of your love would become a reality. And that we would find out the scripture that says that love bears all things Love carries all things. Love endures all things. Our prayer is that we would go from that as a theory to that as a reality in our everyday life. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see those places that need more love. And we ask you to give us strength to do what it is that you've required of us in this, in this way, Lord. We thank you so much for this day. In your name we pray, amen. All right, y'all, hug somebody, say hello. Take somebody out to lunch. Take your dad out to lunch. Let him take a nap today. It's a good day for the dads to take a nap. Oh, that's every Sunday. See y'all. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 